Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It is an honor to have you as part of our audience. I want to start by asking you, our listeners, to help us out with a new initiative we are going to be putting in place for our podcast where we are answering your questions. We're not exactly sure what that'll look like, whether it'll be an occasional episode where we answer questions or if we ask individual guests to answer one question. But because it's a podcast, an audio platform, we would love to hear your questions in your voice. So what I want you to do, if you have a question, is go to your smartphone and there should be a voice memo or voice recording application. Just record your question on your smartphone. And then you can email us that file at podcast at biblicalcc.org. And then we'll work those into the podcast in the future. So again, voice memo, record it, send it to podcast at biblicalcc.org. Today, I am excited to share with you uh, a book called a Biblical Counseling Process Guidance for the Beginning, Middle, and End. And I had a great conversation with the author, Lauren Whitman, and we talked about the book, and I hope that you're really encouraged by it. This is a great resource that I'm going to be assigning to my students in Methods of Biblical Counseling because it answers a lot of questions that they have as beginning uh biblical counselors about what does the process of biblical counseling actually look like. But the book also has really great resources for seasoned counselors, especially some reflection questions that will ask you to look at your own counseling practices that you have. So anybody's going to grow a lot by reading this book and learning from it. So I hope you check out the resource, get it, and are sharpened by it. And I also hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. Today, my guest is Lauren Whitman. So Lauren, thanks for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, Curtis. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Lauren Whitman. I work at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. We're located in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Um, and at CCEF, I serve as a faculty member. I counsel there and also um I am the developmental editor for the Journal of Biblical Counseling. I um, am the author of a devotional book called A Painful Past, Healing and Moving Forward, uh, author of the book we'll talk about today, uh, and currently working on a mini book on mom guilt and a children's story for the Good News for Little Hearts series. Um, I'm a wife to Chad and a mother of two children, and we live uh, outside of Philadelphia. Well, that definitely, that, I'm just tired from hearing all of that. I'm <laughs> sure there's not a lot of dull moments in your in your life. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, and those who've listened to the podcast for a while will recognize we did an interview before on that devotional you wrote, which I uh, really appreciated that, and it's in that 31-day devotionals for life series. And today, uh, as you mentioned, we're talking about your book, A Biblical Counseling Process, Guidance for the Beginning middle and end. What what led you to write that book? Yeah, so this is really the book that I wish I would have had when I was starting out as a counselor. It's a book that drills down into the specifics about what to actually do when you get into a counseling room with someone. And I tried to provide a level of detail and give examples um, 
with the hope that it would just bless young counselors in particular who don't have much experience yet. Uh, the idea for the book came about uh, from an article I wrote maybe five or six years ago for the Journal of Biblical Counseling. It was called, What Does a Good First Session Look Like? And it did um, a lot of what I do in the book, which is um, go into detail and provide examples. And over the years, I just got really good feedback that people found that helpful, you know, how I was um, concrete in that article. And so the idea for this book was, could I give the, you know, entire process a similar level of treatment that I had given in that in that article in the journal years ago? So that was that was how the book came about. No, that's really helpful. And it's it's a challenge because you and I think you've thread the needle well, trying to balance the going into such great detail that you're giving an exact template uh, versus a broad category or framework. Um, so how did you, how did you balance that? What was, what helped you think through that and ultimately led to what you did write? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like there can't be an exact template and that's because that people are just so different. And so one of the ways that I describe the process of counseling is that it is both personal and adaptable. And it's personal in the sense that if we want to offer real help, then we really have to get to know the person that we're counseling. We have to pursue uh, an understanding of their uniqueness and the contours of their experience and where the struggles really are for, for them. And from that place of really knowing them, then we we adapt our counsel to those needs. We adapt our conversations to the places that are most needful um, in in the person's life. Um, so that in itself, you know, is is guidance for um, yeah. How do, how how do we think about um, the counseling process um, and. But then there, there are things that, you know, it, the book was really written for a formal cons counseling context. And so there are just there are things that um, about a formal counseling context that are, are just are intentional. Um, and so you are, um, you know, you are moving through a process with people. And so I just try to give a framework and orientation um, to that process. Um, but again, careful to not to, to say that there is no formula to this because we really want to know people well and not, you know, we're not inviting them into some program, but we're kind of getting on, on, on their, you know, entering into their world and, and seeking to understand how we can come alongside helpfully. Yeah. I really like those two words, adaptable and personal, because that really helps people understand it's, it's, it's a framework that you adjust, but it's not adjusted just to my preference or my schedule or whatever, but it's really you adapt it around the person and their needs. And, and that takes, um, it reminds us of why we're there. This is for their good and God's glory. And we really need to go get to know them. Part of that process really begins in the first, um, session in the first stage of biblical counseling. And you actually go into quite a bit of detail about that first session. Um, it, whereas the rest of it is a little bit more broad and generic, but why why give such detailed uh, guidance on the first session? Why was that so important? 
Yeah, so informal counseling, you're likely meeting this person for the first time, and so there are certain things that you just have to do right away, um, and that's not true for the rest of the process, right? And so, for example, you know, I go over in, in that chapter things like reviewing the paperwork that they just f filled out, um, reviewing matters of privacy and confidentiality, and again, those just have to happen at the beginning, so there's less flexibility um, in that sense. But then I also highlight one of the key elements in a first session, which is drawing out and hearing the person's story, which of course extends um, beyond the first session, but this is this is your first opportunity to make that personal connection and to show your interest and your care. Um, and, to, and to do this, I go into some detail in that chapter of some listening skills. Um, and these are skills and ways of, of being with people that are introduced here, but that you will want to carry into every session, whether it's the first um, or the 20th. But again, this is just your first opportunity to do this. And so that's why I put it in that chapter. That's really, really helpful. And you talk a lot about the fact that it is about building a relationship. And uh, especially if, if this is a formal counseling session where you don't know the person before, like they're not a part of your church or something like that, or maybe they are and you've never met them before. Why is that relationship part so important? And what are some of the key aspects the, that you offer people in building that relationship? Yeah, the counseling relationship, it's its important because of what we aim to do in biblical counseling. And if we want to help people, then they need to trust us. And so we have to build trust by caring well for them. And again, that starts in the very first session as we're showing our interest and our concern, as we're asking good questions, not making, not making assumptions, but really seeking to know what life is like in their shoes. And, um, and so in doing this, we're doing that hard work of drawing out the person so that we can get to know them. And that's the kind of attentiveness and taking interest that does build trust and that reflects God's heart. Um, he is a God who is, is with his people, who is interested, who is for his people. And we, as biblical counselors, we want to embody who Christ is is when we're counseling. And, and so as we represent Christ to people, we are giving them reasons to trust us and to take that risk of going deeper with us. And that relationship then becomes the context for working together in the areas they need help. Um, because it's, it's hard to think that they're going to, um, yeah, receive guidance and counsel from a counselor that they don't trust or who they believe hasn't taken the time to get to know me and, and doesn't really get me. Um, and so that, that trust builds the foundation for um, just a truly helpful um, relationship that in which they can grow and consider some of the, uh, the work of counseling that we do, which is, um, yeah, understanding who the Lord is in the midst of what they're facing and thinking about how we can um, grow in our expressions of faith and love amidst the circumstances that, that they're facing. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I think it's such a, a beautiful thing about biblical counseling. And I know other, other counseling methodologies would encourage the same thing, but people are coming to us. There's a level of trust in, in the sense that you're an expert, you know, you have a certification or training or whatever, but that trust is different. And I think deeper and sweeter when it's built in a relationship and not just you're the expert. So teach me but you are an expert and you care. Like you have a lot of knowledge and you have a lot of love. Uh, so yeah, that's a really, really helpful 
way of thinking through what we're doing there. Uh, skipping ahead to chapter eight, you is in, it, this chapter is entitled "Imagining a Faithful Way Forward." Uh, can you tell your audience, our audience, a little bit about the main idea of this chapter? Because I thought that's a unique way of putting it, but I really liked uh, I liked uh, what you said there. Thanks. Yeah. So this chapter is imagining the faithful way forward. That's one of the two main tasks of the middle of the counseling process. So by this time, you know, the person you have that trusting relationship that's provided the context to do the hard work that you're doing now in the middle of thinking and praying and working through together. Okay. So here are the problems that are on the table. Here's how we're thinking biblically about them. And so now what? And that's where the imagining comes in. And what I mean by that is, is that as Christians, we want to move through our problems in ways that are consonant with what we believe. We want to be faithful and to be growing up into the image of Jesus. And so what does that look like for this person? And how do they enact it after talking about it in the counseling room? Um, I was reading recently the story in John 4 when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he says that the living water he gives becomes in us this living spring that wells up to eternal life. And I just, I love that. It's an exciting promise. And it's similar to what I'm trying to say here about imagining how to proceed in the areas that counselees find are, are hurting or broken. And if Jesus gives us his living water, if his presence and his work is welling up within us. And what does that look like? What can it look like? And how can we bring his presence and life into the details of our lives? What forms, what expressions of love and faith does that take in our context and in our circumstances? And, and so again, this is what I'm trying to get at when I say we're imagining together in counseling um, what this could look like. And then the counselee is practicing it uh, in real life, you know, so we're identifying ways to move forward that are consistent, faithful with what we believe, with who Jesus is. And then the counselee in the middle of the counseling process, they're acting on those in the outside of the counseling room. They're putting them into practice. And we as counselors, we're following up. We're seeing how it's going. We're identifying next steps so that this faithful way forward is gaining traction and bearing fruit uh, and proving itself helpful outside the counseling room. Yeah, I thought it was a really helpful way of putting it. Like you said, especially for new counselors, the book is giving them an idea of, of what we're trying to accomplish in the overall process. And I, I, don't, I just don't think I had thought about it that way. And it has such broad application and such deep value, too. Uh, you think just even of giving hope, right? Uh, thinking through different counseling cases you have, people come in and they are focused on the problem and the negative and ruts right in front of them. And they don't see even a positive future in bringing them to scripture and seeing God's promises and seeing a path forward and even, even practical steps of what that looks like. It's just a, but it takes imagination, it takes creativity, it takes forethought. And uh, yeah, I just really loved how you frame that chapter and encourage people uh, to move people along in a hopeful God-honoring biblical way uh, out of their problems and towards <laughs> towards Christ and his love. So thanks for that. Uh, chapter 11, an, another one in the middle, uh, is called Considerations in the Middle. And you ask eight different questions to prompt the counselor to reflect on the counseling that's taking place. Um, <clears throat> I, love the li I love lists, and I love those kind of questions that prompt the, the thinking one example was, do you follow up after any hard conversations? 
why why did you include that one specifically? And then maybe just share a little bit more about that chapter and what made you list those eight different questions. Yeah. So that question, um, do you follow up after hard conversations? Um, I asked that because it, it ties back to the counseling relationship, right? Following up after a hard conversation is a way to care for the relationship, you know, and um, and that, again, builds trust. It, it gives the person reasons to, to keep meeting with you because you're showing care and concern. You're recognizing like, hey, um, maybe I, you know, maybe that was hard feedback um, that that they heard. And so I want to, I want to check in and, and see how are we doing? What was that like, um, for, for us, for our relationship, for, for me to say those things and, um, you know, and, and again, in doing so, I'm, I'm seeking to take care of the relationship and, you know, hard, I mean, all of us, you know, hard conversations are hard. We all struggle to do, um, conflict well. And so it also kind of just reflects, um, one thing that I love about the counseling room, which is it can really become a place, um, to do things that we find hard to do in real life, such as moving through a hard conversation well and talking about, you know, what was hard about it and what was, you know, what offended you or, you know, and so, uh, counseling can provide that, that opportunity to, to do these things that we find hard to do in real life and to do them with a mature, godly counselor and, and people can get practice in that sense. So, um, that was kind of my thinking though. I'm curious, what did you like about that question? Well, I think it's good. Um, I hope that we're all constantly trying to improve and grow as biblical counselors. And I felt the questions were good, both for a new counselor to think through, these are some strategies, these are some things I should be thinking about, but also for the seasoned counselor to think, oh, these are actually good questions to stop and help me reflect on my counseling and how I can grow. Because I I know my one tendency in my life is, man, when you have a hard conversation, sometimes it's easy just to pretend it didn't happen (laughs) and then move forward and to not come back and visit that. But that's not going to... um, serve the counselee well or you well, honestly. So yeah, that's why I I love, one of the things I loved about it is it really showed a lot of value for all counselors, wherever they are in the, in the counseling spectrum. I know it's one sense targeted to the new, new counselor, but all of us can learn, can learn from it. So yeah, and maybe just to back up a little bit to give a little more context for the listeners. So this chapter is called Considerations in the Middle. Um, and I also have um, chapters for the, you know, a similar chapter for the beginning and the met and, and the end of the counseling process. And so each of those three chapters just presents some questions to help you be um, reflective and to consider, you know, where you're at in the counseling process. Um, and, you're, and you're right, it's, it's not just... Um, you know, hopefully these won't just be helpful for new counselors, but would be questions um, that for any of us that will just help us to slow down and to be thoughtful and um, yeah, just help us identify, okay, here's something I could do, or here's something I could try, or, oh, I wasn't thinking of that, you know, um, so that, that, that was my hope, um, Curtis, that, yeah, that could be a blessing, um, you know, for, for any sort of, of counselor. And certainly, um, you know, as, even for me, like as I go back and revisit the book, um, 
yeah, I am challenged by those questions because um, I think that if, you know, for any of us, we've, we've been doing counseling for a long time. There's, you know, there's a risk of kind of going on autopilot. And so the questions just kind of, um, yeah, give you that chance, like I said, to pause and to reflect and to think about um, how can I bring uh, greater intentionality to what I'm doing in the counseling room. Yeah. And I think it's really a really helpful practice to do just periodically, um, generally, but with each case too, for a long time, I've had, I have this one notebook that I use when I'm doing counseling and I have taped in one side, a list of questions from one of Jay Adams books, like what to do, like, you know, questions to ask if counseling is stalled or something. And, and I was like, I'm going to add, take those questions that you had and print them out and put them in there. Um, just as mental reminders to think through. It's really helpful. And I think I, I told you, I may have put it in the endorsement or not. I don't remember. <laughs> told you I'm going to have all my method students read this book because it is a helpful. Yeah. That is a question I get a lot is how does counseling go? Like how does it unfold? What are the phases to it? What, what do I do in this part? And it's just a great, yeah, just a great resource. So, um, <clears throat> Not you have this quote. I think it's a quote. Not all cases are clear cut. In fact, most are not. However, for most cases, the major tasks of each of these stages I've represented will be relevant and can be pursued. Um, expand on that a little bit, or what? What made you think of that? Uh, put it in that phrase. I just, I pulled it out because I like the way you phrased it. Yeah. So that was. Um referencing a case study that I tracked through the whole book. Um, I touched down with one case, um, a woman, a doctor who was struggling with panic um, in her workplace. And so I touched down with that case in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. And so that was when I said not all cases are as clear cut, I was referring um, to her. Um, but as you were just saying, um, you know, the book as a resource can provide that orientation for the entire counseling process. And so in that, in that sense, I think that the book can, you know, can, can be helpful, can be applicable, um, for any case. Um, even though that one in particular was clear cut, which was clear cut just because it was, you know, I was using it as a teaching example and it had to be, um, yeah, just lucid uh, for for the sake of you know a book and and to be able to touch down in each of the faces phases of counseling. Um, so yeah, but my hope is that um, it the book you know provides that that structure that orientation um, so that you know people younger counselors counselors just can feel um, oriented and like okay I have I have a sense of of wh where I'm going of of what to do even as I'm you know, paying attention to the particulars of this particular, of this case. Yeah. Uh, again, I highlighted the considerations at the end, uh, another list of self-reflection questions. And I, and I do think for me, like I said, I love those kind of questions. So I think those in and of themselves are worth the price of admission. So if you're like me and you like those kind of questions and want some good things to self-evaluate buy the book, cause those will be worth it in and of themselves. Do you ever use them in supervision settings or maybe like peer-to-peer -peer review? Because I thought that might be a really helpful tool if you're a supervising counselor um, to use those kind of questions as you're training somebody or helping them grow as a counselor. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would um, recommend them for for those settings. And certainly some of them, you know, came out of my own experiences of being in, you know, those group settings where we're thinking together of, um, yeah, ways to be intentional, where to go, um, you know, as you're trying, you know, to get a sense of, you know, where you're at in the counseling process, um, these these questions can be helpful to present to one another to talk through. Um, so, yeah, thank you for, for bringing that out. That would certainly be my hope is that they could be used in those settings as well, not just, you know, individually for self-reflection, but but really in, in, in both cases. Yeah, so I could see churches or groups of counselors getting together and just using them periodically, not even just once, but uh, again and again, coming back to reflect on those, those questions for us. Um, are there other things that I didn't ask you about in the book that you would like to, like our readers to know about or wish a question that you wish I would asked? <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. Um, I guess um, one chapter that I we haven't talked about yet was I just give an example of using scripture in counseling. You know, you you mentioned your students and, you know, common questions that, that you get. And another one I think that is common for biblical counseling students is, you know, how do I use scripture in counseling? How do you, you know, we want to do it in ways that are, um, you know, creative and, um, and, and faithful, of course, um, to the text. And so um, I included um, a case, you know, an example of a case and how I um, applied a gospel passage, how I kind of used it in a, in a um, creative way. So that, that would be something just to call attention to in the book. Um, because again, I know that that's often um, a concern on our, on students' hearts. You know, we, we love scripture. We want to bring it to bear in a person's life. Um, but how do you do that? And so I've sought to provide um, not just that example, but also in the case study that I mentioned, um, I talk about kind of the two, passages that ended up really um, setting the course um, for that imagined way forward um, for that counselee. So um, yeah, I just want to highlight that um, because again, hope that will be a blessing for for those um, students or younger counselors who, um, you know, are wondering like, oh, what could this look like? Um, So I've tried to provide some examples of what it could look like of, of using scripture. Yeah, that's really helpful. And also the case study that you followed through the whole book. I like that from a from a reader perspective, but also a pedagogical perspective. It did give a um, a good flow and also it's just some handholds I like to grapple with and practically show here's the phases and here's how these phases actually played out in in this example. So thanks for thanks for doing it. It's just a it's a good, easy read that way too. A little bit more enjoyable than just here's the facts. So well tell tell our audience how they can find out more about the book or other ways to connect with you and the ministry you have at CCF. Yeah, so the book, um, you know, is available. It was published in October 2021. It's, you know, available. It was published by New Growth Press, so you can get it there. You can get it on uh, Amazon. Um, I have a website that my husband manages for me. He's a a web developer, so he has put this together, and um, it's very sweet of him. So you can check that out. It's laurenwhitman.info. And you could also find me at ccef.org. I've written... 
over 10 articles over the years for the Journal of Biblical Counseling. So I have resources there um, that, that you could locate as well. So thank you for, for asking and taking interest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's super helpful to have a spouse who can do that for you because the rest yes. of us have to pay somebody. So, <laughs> Or get a volunteer who who's very generous with their time. So, well, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us for 1514 today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's really encouraging. Thank you for your support, Curtis. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.